There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi, this is Sean Cahill, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and it's a bit of an impromptu show. My next show up was going to be Dragon from Skinwalker Ranch, and that will still be released next week. Uh, But given the events of the last few days, an opportunity has come up to discuss I have a conversation with one of the most prominent voices on UFO Twitter, if you want to call it that, the World World West, as it's been dubbed more recently as well. Um, Joe Murgia uh, is on the show with me tonight. Joe, how are you? I'm great, Andy. Thanks for having me. And yeah, wild, wild west. It keeps getting wilder every day. It certainly does. Um, Do you know what? I don't want to jump too much into things straight away, but Tom DeLong has claimed that uh, alien entities suck on the negative emotions uh, of human beings and if they are plugging motherships into UFO Twitter those things must be powered for millennia because the last couple of days particularly the the bio the hatred the the name calling everything that's going on has been kicking off a little bit so and rightly or wrongly Joe you've been to the center of some of that as well so that's what you're kind of getting a chance to come on the show and talk about tonight am I right? You're right. I am secretly secretly working for the interdimensional beings who like all that drama. So yeah, you can blame it all on me. Sorry, yeah. guys. There's been there's been a lot of drama to go about. So Joe, for yourself, it, it started with a mega blog, um, and the balls kept rolling ever since. And finally, an article was dropped in the New York Times, and it's all kind of blown up, hasn't it? So it's been a bit of a crazy few months. What have the last few months been like for you? You know, started this current part of my ufo life started yeah a couple of months ago i actually started last year when it was april i think it was april of 2019 a colleague of mine juliana marankovic said hey guys check this out this is big and i I looked at it and um after looking at it it was something that brought me back to 1997 when i heard stephen greer was on coast to coast and he was saying that he briefed a higher up inside the Pentagon about a UFO program. And this higher up, a Joint Chiefs fella, he called him, tried to get access to the program and he was turned away because he did not have a need to know. So I remembered that. And um, I kind of lost the story after that. That was April 10th, 1997. And actually, that's when the meeting was, but the Art Bell interview was May of 97. So I forgot about it. And then last year, Giuliano pulled up this document and I started looking at it. And he explained, he goes, this is what, this is the program that Greer was talking about where this joint chiefs fellow was shut out of. This is all the details that happened. And we started looking at it. And this person in the document, it was Dr. Eric Davis, who was a big time UFO name, one of the best in the field, an astrophysicist. And the other one was Admiral Thomas Wilson, who was the joint chiefs fellow that Greer was talking about who got shut out of that program. 
and this basically took us through all the details. And um, yeah, it was amazing to see. And right away, I'm like, I don't know if this is real or not. Uh, I did reach out to Eric Davis, who I'd become friends with earlier. It was actually 2018 of Thanksgiving. And I, I told him this was online. I said, we're not going to do anything with it, just so you know. And then it finally leaked onto Twitter. And then I said, you have, it's, it's, it's going to go public. It's, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to write about it. So what do you think? And he said, no comment. So, and Eric talks a lot. When he, when he responds to me, he responds with paragraphs. I mean, he has the most amazing memory. So I knew something was up when he said no comment. And then, so I started digging into it. And um, we can get into the details of what the document said, but it was not until maybe two months ago, two and a half months ago, I started really looking into details and got, a, got, a, got together with Giuliano and just started going through back to 97 when it first came up. And we just went through 97 up until now and just found everything related to crash retrievals of UFOs. Because basically the document said he went to the program, Greer gave him... And Miller, uh, we'll talk about Miller later. They gave him a list of uh, program names and code names and numbers. And they found, and Admiral Wilson went and looked, made some home phone calls, found one of the programs, took a flight out, assumingly West. He was in D.C. And he found the people and they told him it was a crash retrieval program. And I started with that and just tried to find anything that was credible with crash retrievals. And that's where I am now. And then... Two months ago, I heard uh, that Ralph Blumenthal, who was one of the co-authors of the UFO article in 2017 with Leslie Kane and Helene Cooper, he was going to call into Michael Hall's show on Facebook and talk about the Wilson documents. And I was like, there's no way is he going to, there's no way if the New York Times is interested in the Wilson documents, the Wilson Davis documents, he's not going to call in live on a show and talk about it. I mean, I would think they'll do it privately, but you know. Tuned in, Giuliano tuned in, some of my friends, and we're listening. And sure enough, he's talking about the Wilson documents. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, I don't know if Ralph really realizes this is going out live. And at the very, it was like 45 minutes. And at the very end, he goes, okay. He goes, Michael, he goes, here's my cell phone number if you want to get a hold of me. And right away, I'm like, let me get a pen. So I grab a pen. I'm like, this is obviously not supposed to go out live. Ralph, this is mis miscommunication. But I was live tweeting the entire meeting at the time. Whatever was going on, I was hearing. Live tweet, 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 yep, up, up, fact-finding. And then he hangs up, and then we heard a, a phone call afterwards that Blumenthal was upset because he didn't realize it was going out live, and he was starting to get phone calls. You know, because I took his cell phone number down. I'm sure other people did. So the people started calling him, and uh, he called back and said, please, take it down, take it down. So took it down. I took my tweets down just out of respect. I'm like, you know what? I, I don't want to cause them any problem. Let Give them a little time to do their work. So I did that. Um, people did save it on Reddit. It's still there, the tweets. And then I started working on the, on the um, article. It was going to not be a long. I'm like, this is not going to be. I remember telling my friends, I'm like, this is not going to be long. Guys, I'm just going to touch on what happened, what we went through when we found out about it. Talk about my relationship with Eric Davis. And uh, maybe it'll be you know, a couple thousand words. And then the next thing you know, it's 24,000 words. It's four parts. It has a document, a really important document in there, has comments and from so many different people. I had an interview, Will Miller, which we, we should, we'll, we'll get to Will Miller. But yeah, that's, so that's where we are. And then I promoted the heck out of the New York Times article and I got a lot of grief for it and I'm still getting grief for it. 
and I knew it was going to be about crash retrievals, and I thought it would be about a couple of other things, and I still think those other things, which we'll talk about, were supposed to be in the article, but it got edited out, and it's another thing we can talk about, the editing process at the New York Times, and it came out a couple of days ago, and I read it, and I'm like, this can't be the article. This is not the article, because it was not what I thought it would be, so I was disappointed, couple hours later, I read it again. I'm like, this is pretty good. There's some really good quotes and we can go through all the quotes one by one. But yeah, that's, so that's where we are right now. It's the short story. Yeah. And you, you've probably summarized what's going to be in the show pretty nicely there. Um, so taking it back a step then. So I think it's fair to say your, your magnum opus so far has been that four part mega blog detailing 20 plus years worth of research like you've touched on. What is it about the documents? First of all, if that's not too stupid a question that you've been so drawn to with the, with the Wilson documents? Well, first of all, I, I knew, quote unquote, knew Eric Davis, and I've been talking to him for a while. So I know, I know his style. I mean, these notes, actually, when I see him writing, it's like I can hear him in my head. And right away, I'm like, you know, I felt they were authentic. And as the months went, went on, I, there was one day I'd be like, these are authentic. Another day I would say, I'm not so sure, but if they were not authentic, I don't think a friend of mine in Eric Davis would let me go this long without saying, you're wasting your time. You know, a little wink, you're wasting your time. He never said that. So, um, and just going through everything. And then on the, on the third and fourth page, there is a letter from Commander Will Miller to Eric Davis back in 2002 before, in this meeting, the, the document says a meeting took place between Eric Davis and Admiral Wilson, October 16th of 2002 is the date. So that's when it happened. It happened in Las Vegas, where I live. The initial briefing between Greer happened in 97. So this was five years later, Eric Davis talking to Admiral Wilson. And Eric Davis had recently, he was working for NIDS, which, NIDS National Institute of Discovery Science, which was, which was put together by Robert Bigelow, billionaire. And there were people like Jacques Vallée and Kit Green and Hal Putoff and Colm Kelleher and a, and a lot of people like that. Senator Harry Reid would sit in on some of their meetings, their um, scientific adver- advisory committee meetings. So there was a, you know, a lot of top names, but Eric Davis wasn't working for NIDS at the time he met with Admiral Wilson. I still think he was doing this for NIDS, but he had, his job had been cut like four or five months earlier. So he, was, he had his own company at that point. So I'm looking through the documents and, you know, it's like a lot of details that a lot of people wouldn't be interested in. A lot of names of people connected to special access programs, you know, where something's so secret, they have to put it in a special access program and you have to have a need to know to get access to that program. But the most interesting part of the, uh, the, the document is when Admiral Wilson actually goes to this program and he meets with the three people, the program manager, the security person and the corporate attorney. And um, the program manager tells him what the program is, or you know, he claims to tell him. We don't know if the program manager was telling the truth. I think, I think he was telling at least partial truth. He said we have an intact craft. Uh, didn't say flying saucer. He just said intact craft that uh, we believe can fly through air, space, water, and dimensions. But there's a question mark after all of those words, and it's not made by human hands. Not made on this earth. Um, and that's basically it. That's like the blockbuster. If it's true, like, Oh my, that's it's amazing. It's like, when you read that, the people are like, well, we don't, first of all, we don't know if the documents are real. And second of all, we don't know if Admiral Wilson was telling him the truth because he's just repeating what he heard 
from the program manager. Of course, there's also a possibility that Admiral Wilson is just was just totally lying to Eric Davis, which I do not think happened. If anything, the program manager told Admiral Wilson a mix of lie and, lies and truth. But I personally think the, the, in, the intact craft is something legitimate, whether or not it was in that program or another special access program, I don't know. You know, maybe he wanted to just give something to Wilson so Wilson would go away because Wilson would not go. Wilson wanted this bad. Wilson had started communicating with Will Miller in at least 1995. So two years before the, the, the meeting with Greer, and I have that, that letter on my website, thanks to James Iandoli. And it was Miller writing to Admiral Wilson saying, here's some stuff that we had talked about and it's all UFO related. So Wilson had an interest. Um, and then in 2002, when he met, he, uh, he went through a lot, making a lot of phone calls, different people found the program and uh, he was angry, you know, in the, in the, in the documents, when he's talking to Eric Davis, he was angry that he should have oversight. I mean, he's the joint chiefs of staff, uh, uh, head of intelligence. And that basically he's coming, he's coming up with all the intelligence to let the president and people in the executive branch know what threats there are around the world. So he's a, he has a big deal position. So if he doesn't know about a program that deals with UFOs that are not from here, it's like in his mind, he's like, I should be, I should have oversight over this program. So he was angry. Uh, and he didn't, he didn't give up because we have, we have a letter from 2004, 2005 that Bob McGuire who's a scientist who really respectable scientist, And I have that on my blog too, where Wilson was still looking. That was, so that's three years after meeting with Davis, he was still looking, still angry. that He did not have access to that program. And also there's a, there's a, an interview with Edgar Mitchell, who was there with Greer and Miller in 1997 when they briefed Wilson. And Mitchell was talking about how he, he references, I think he references Davis or a colleague talking about going to Las Vegas to get more information about a crash retrieval program. He doesn't mention Wilson. He was really good. Edgar, Edgar Mitchell, who died a few years ago, he was great. He would never mention Mitchell. He would never mention Admiral Wilson's name. He was very respectful like that. Um, he said that Wilson was in Las Vegas to try to gain access to the special access program, which if that's accurate, that means the program was in Las Vegas, which means probably Area 51. And then I started thinking, if that's true, and I've been a Bob Lazar skeptic for a while. I mean, you know, not total skeptic, but skeptical. And I'm like, if that's true, that might be the program. If Lazar's telling the truth, that might be the program Lazar took video of the craft going up three times on three separate Wednesdays, which would be a, the best outcome as far as story-wise and drama. That would be great. I don't know if that's the case. So, but yeah, that's, so that's basically what the documents are. And a lot of people have said they're a movie script or they're this and they're that. And, and they have zero doubt. They're legitimate. No doubt. And I can't say, I can't say why, but I have no doubt. Uh, even if you look, but even without my inside information that I can't share, if you go on my website and, and the blog and you just read, it's obvious, to, you know, it's not even a, it's like a badly kept secret. People in NIDS, they also got copies of this. You know, George Knapp talks about that. He's given me some quotes. So it's like for a long time, a lot of people have known. The only thing that happened is Edgar Mitchell passed away. So if Edgar Mitchell hadn't passed away, people went to his house. His family didn't want any of his space-related documents or anything related to NIDS. Friends went to his house, and that's when they found the documents. So if he hadn't passed away, we wouldn't be talking right now because those documents would still be, you know, they'd be only in the hands of certain people who had received them. But since he died, and somebody got the documents, looked at them, realized they were big, showed them to Grant Cameron a few years ago, 
And then Richard Dolan had seen two, copy, two pages in 2006, and his source is amazing. Um, yeah, this, we wouldn't be here, but it did happen, and here we are. And I think it's the biggest story in the history of ufology, no doubt. People accuse me of overhyping it, and I don't, I don't agree. I, I think any hype, and, and I think if, if I didn't think this information was going to, if I didn't think it was going to come out soon, I would agree that I'm getting people's expectations out, up and we're going to have to wait another 10 years. But I knew the New York Times article was coming soon. I, I also, I don't know, but we have a Senate Intelligence Committee that's talking about UAPs. You know, their job is, it's a UAP task force they're involved with. And we have Senator Marco Rubio, who's head of the Intelligence Committee, saying, you know what, these things are invading our airspace, military airspace, and we don't know what they are. I think it's preferable if they're off-world as opposed to Chinese or Russian. I'm like, oh, my God. Our, our senator Rubio, who's a prominent senator, Republican senator, just said he prefers that they're off-planet as opposed to them being Chinese or Russian. And they're not Chinese or Russian. We can get into some of the comments that Elizondo had made the other day on Coast to Coast. But, yeah, I'm excited. And I, I do not apologize for being excited or, or hyping because I'm trying to get regular people interested, too. But it's hard because... Even if, you know, I, I've had some people who are not into UFOs contact me and say, hey, check out this article. I'm like, I know I've been telling you about it. This is it. It was supposed to be better, but this is a really great start. Take a breath. So I don't oh. think anyone, Joe, could doubt your passion for it, right? And that comes across, and that comes across in the tweets as well. And it's it's partly what can rub some people up the wrong way. And right. But just just what your your whole almost monologue there is really appreciated, right? So one of the things and a few things you've touched on, you mentioned right back at the start of what you were saying, that, that line, that crash retrieval program, just that in itself, a couple of words or one sentence is the biggest story of all time. That's the biggest story of the millennia. It's It changes the world. That does. And it's it's that old claim that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And you know what? It just seems that we need more and more and more of that extraordinary evidence because we've got quite a lot of it, not just these documents, not just the people behind them, not just years and years and years of videos, sightings, testimony, and even more up to date what's happened in the last few years. It's still not enough. And part of the problem is what you said before that there was a, you're saying about Admiral Wilson may have been told a mix of the truth from the project manager and it only takes as we're finding out in politics at the minute particularly one lie in amongst 99 things that are true and it just puts a seed of doubt doesn't it and everything else that yeah but if that's not true then what about the rest of it and i think we've seen quite a lot of that even the last few days in some of the quotes and some of the we'll talk about retractions it just takes one little piece the way something's worded a paraphrase and it can change the whole context or, you know, the credibility of an article. No, I, I, I agree. We need evidence. And I would not be, I would not be this passion. I mean, I'm passionate. Normally I'm, I'm a, I obsess over things. I mean, I have a lot of things I can tell you that I've obsessed over, whether it's gambling or sports or whatever. I mean, that's just how I am. I get a hold of something and I don't let go. This particular, for me, I think it benefits me in this specific case because I needed it to, to write 24,000 words. Um, and I could have, I could have, there's some stuff I found today that I, that I could have put in there and I should have put in there. Maybe I'll add it. But yeah, if I didn't think the evidence was coming soon and, and by soon, I mean, I think by the end of the year, at the very least, we'll have more information. We're not going to have, 
Well, listen, let's let's get to that because I'm going to get to that point anyway. So you've talked about the blog and you've given us a great detail into what the Wilson document says. And that that summary was really good, I think, for anyone who maybe haven't read the documents or hasn't managed to get through your blog as to what the documents are, why they came about and how we've came to have them. What was your experience of people's reaction to your blog? So once that came out and you dropped those four parts online, what was the reaction that you experienced? For the most part, it was really good. Um, people who took the time to read it, but a lot of people did not read it. In fact, a lot of people still have not read it, and they'll ask me, "Well, wh- why are you saying that?" I'm like, "Well, read my blog." I said, "Just read, just Will Miller." They're like, "Who's Will Miller?" I'm like, "Read the blog. It's one of the most important interviews I did was Will Miller." Um, I also interviewed somebody who was in the connected to the special access committees. I blind, I got his phone number and I blindly called him. It's like, which I don't like doing, but I did, and the guy talked to me. Um, not about Wilson Davis, but about UFOs and how he didn't think it should be made public. But it was a great reaction. And the best reaction came from Richard Dolan, who I respect. And he's been at this a long time. And I, I met him a long time ago. And we, you know, we talked recently a couple of times and now we're, we're friends. And his reaction was he just was really, really, really complimenting me. And he's, if you listen to his videos, he brings it up a lot, which really helps to have somebody like him bring it up. Um, and I've had other people today, and, and uh, and also uh, I think it was an AP or Reuters writer said, "Hey, I, re- I read your blog over the weekend, and it's like really exciting, really great work." And you know, I'm like, "Yeah, here's more information if you want to know." And there's been also been detractors who say it's fake, and you know, you wasted your time. And other people tell me there was no New York Times article. It's like, and there's still people saying there's no evidence of a crash retrieval program. And I'm like, read. Dr. Eric Davis, people know him. He doesn't lie. That's his reputation. Read his interviews with George Knapp. Read his interviews with Alejandro Rojas, who was one of the biggest skeptics till this day, which I don't understand. He's on his program. And before Eric Davis even went on the program, Dave, uh, Rojas be- begins by saying, I am a big time skeptic. And I'm maybe not big time. He said, I'm a skeptic of crash retrievals. And then Davis just went down the list of why he believes there's a program and how information is acquired about that program by people who are not read into the program. And he just takes you through everything. Um, Eric Davis is brilliant. Eric Davis doesn't make information up. That's a big part of why I, I believe we have a program, you know, and plus, like I said, if we, if we weren't going to find out soon, if the Senate intelligence committee wasn't humming along so quickly and Senator Marco Rubio talking about, you know, off planet, you know, I, I, I wrote to somebody and said, you're friends with Marco Rubio, right? Yeah. He goes, I go, take a look at this video. What do you think? He's like, I will call Marco next week. So, and that person is not into UFOs, but they saw Marco Rubio talking about uh, UFOs. Big deal. Uh, so mixed reaction, mostly positive about the blog. It definitely encourages me to keep going and add more. Um, it helps when you have somebody like Giuliano giving you information and writing articles. He wrote two articles himself. And um, I'm trying to think of some other reaction but for the most part, positive. And my following on Twitter the last few days has really, it's like going up a lot really quickly. And I think a lot of that is I've been searching for some articles on the New York Times article and then seeing the big accounts. There was one with 7 million followers. So I tweeted, here's a link to information that may not have been in the New York Times. And and I don't know if that's what did it, but that's that's increasing my following. And it's always, you always like to have more followers. And you know, especially when you spend that much time on an art, a blog, it, it, the more people, the better. He's like, all right, at least it was worth it. It's not like I'm making a ton of money on it. I mean, I have Google ads and it makes a, like a couple hundred bucks, but that, that article, those blogs maybe made 
20, 30 bucks. You know, it's not like can't make a living off that. Maybe one day I do think a lot of us can make money on this when seven and a half billion people wake up. That's when it's going to be like, oh my, they're going to be like, so this is real. This is real. Because right now there was a, a show called The View. It's in, I don't know if you've seen The View, but I've, I've heard of it. I've seen clips. Yeah, it's like a four or five women, prominent women who talk about different topics and have all different guests on. And they had, I think it was Marco Rubio's comments and they were, they were talking about it, but they were also laughing. And you, you'll see that with almost every, not every commentator, but most commentators always laugh. It's like, and they're like, yeah, and they might be from another place. And then they laugh. It's the nervous, to me, it's a nervous laughter because once they realize this is really serious. And if you listen to Rubio, he's not laughing. I mean, you know, a little tiny bit off the top of that one interview he did for CBS Miami, but serious, you know, these are classified briefings. And it's, it's kind of worries me that people are still not taking this seriously at all. I mean, on Facebook, I'll post a link to different things, my article, my blog, or a New York Times article, and it's really a muted reaction. So I know, you know, I come from a religious family, and I know part of it is that because the immediate, and I've gotten this from people, and the immediate reaction is demons, and they don't want any part of it. But I mean, we need to look into this, and it's going to be in everybody's face in the really near future. And buy some gold. And you buy some gold and silver. So when the so when the dollars, the currencies tank, because I am worried about that. I mean, I'm worried about how people are going to react. It's it's a big deal. Look how people reacted to COVID here in the United States. It was like all our store shelves were empty, and it's probably going to happen again. People are like, no, no, no. You're, you're you're overestimating. You're underestimating how humans are. They'll handle it. You know. I'm like. I think Joe, they handled UFOs, so, okay. So let, let, let's touch on that now, because I was going to get to this in a little bit, but I'm more than happy to get into this bit now. So this was something me and you had a bit of a dis- disagreement, healthy debate last week on Twitter as well. And I brought up the point that, especially from my point of view here in the UK, and in the UK, we probably know more about the US than the US does about the UK, because the US is a big place. 100%. Yeah, 100%. so we everything we get is American TV shows and American influencers and American news. And so it's not unfair to say we're all a better place to comment on the US and vice versa. So the US gets stuck in a little bit of a bubble. And, and we see you've got these two political parties and it's still very religious and you've got a, a strange politics compared to what most other places have. But politics the world over is pretty fucked up right now anyway, okay? So I made the point to you that even the article you were talking about, and let's say we're going to get to the, the hyping in a minute, I would have loved an article to drop front page of the New York Times, you know, nine o'clock on BBC News in the UK, whatever it might have been, the biggest possible um, front for it to say something along the lines of, we have a crashed UFO, we have a crashed ET spacecraft, we have proof of interdimensional beings. I just couldn't see that happening. And then my point as we went back and forward was, even if it did, it's just, it's not going to land or have the impact. And I can see why To The Stars Academy's narrative of drip feeding disclosure, the way they're doing it is the way they're going about it. Because people, I just don't think, are still ready for that. 
And again, I think that's been a part of what's happened with this article was um, it was hyped and a lot of people hyped it. You've, you've got that follower count, okay? You've, you've got a bit of an audience. So yeah, you are more prominent and you've always got people who want to knock you. That's not unfair to say. And it's always happens. I think the more popular someone gets, the more people you'll have will like you. The more people you have won't like you. And the more people that want to see you succeed, you're going to have some people who naturally, because we're humans and we're dicks, some people want to see you fail. So there was always an appetite for this article to to bomb from some quarters and it didn't and I agree it was really really good what I'm trying to get at was as soon as it dropped was it ever going to be good enough to have the impact that you were hoping it was going to have no I mean it was it was definitely hard to it had would have to have everything that see what I would hope for is everything I had predicted would be in there and I knew it was possible it wouldn't I knew I knew what some of the stuff I knew that was investigated, like the, the 1961 document, I let, later learned that they had investigated that document, whether it made it into the article, I always knew it was an editorial decision. Um, Look, can I stop but, you on that? Because I know you're going to bring up some good points here because your memory is obviously far better than mine, okay? That 1961 document to not point, not, not, not 1% of the planet means something. And it's, it, I'm not saying it's not good evidence. My point is, and this is my frustration with, with my kind of passion and love for this subject, because I, I live it as well, especially here in the UK, is you te- I tend to keep it quiet from most people. Most people don't know I have this podcast now, okay? Because it's still a joke subject and it's still laughed about. And if, if I say to most people, Eric Davis, Louise Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Hal Putov, Dr. Stephen Greer, J. Allen Hynek, Stanton Friedman, to most people, these names mean nothing. So no matter what sort of evidence they bring forward, it it just doesn't mean shit. So I think that goes for 99% of the population that those names, like Eric Davis being quoted in the New York Times is great or being paraphrased. It's fantastic. But to most people, it doesn't mean anything. And for me, that's still part of the problem. I, I never thought just the article, you know, it was just the article. This is it. This is it. Just the article would change things. I, first of all, I thought it would be stronger. So that was going to be the start. And you combine the article with, I'm fully confident that we're going to get to see some, finally, some of those longer videos. If videos have an impact on people. People had, when people saw the videos back in 2017, People had a reaction, and those videos are not that good. Those are not the videos. You know, you know what videos we want. We want right-angle turns. We want long-form videos, not 90 seconds or a, a minute. We want to see these things going all over the place. And there are videos like that online, but they're not official government videos. I do believe those videos will be released as part of the UIP task force. I do think they feel, they feel pressure to get that information out. I mean, they're talking about having an unclassified unclassified aspect of that program where they're going to release information. Now, if they do release more of the same videos, we're in trouble because we're not going to get anywhere. And, but, but there are, there are other pieces of evidence. If you listen to different comments from Harry Reid before the New York times article, you know, he's made comments about materials and, and I, we can read the quotes as we get there. And then Elizondo and Mellon the other day were given hints, you know, about, if one of these programs exists, what would happen? So there's a lot of hints out there. And TTSA, I mean, 
I really do think their goal is like, yeah, you said slow drip. And I, I've gone back and forth on TTSA. In the beginning, TTSA is to the Stars Academy for people who don't know of arts and science. To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, who Tom DeLong founded it, co-founded it with uh, Jim Semivan, who was a former higher up in the CIA. And he had an experience back in college with his wife, basically an abduction, where his wife actually bled a little bit from a cut. Nothing big, but it was not a fun experience for them. Um, and he's the co-founder of, of the company. He wrote the forward to Tom DeLong's first book that people should read because he, he describes his experience of first learning about Tom DeLong and also the, the, the experience with his wife. So yeah, early on, I was like, TTSA is great. I put some, I invested a couple hundred bucks in the stock just to support them, didn't expect to make money. Then along the way, I've had some criticism of them, but nothing major, but I disagree here and there. But right now, I think they're, they're, their goal is to get get to the truth and get as quickly and safely as possible. You just, like you said, you just can't blur it out. Here you go. We got two gray aliens here, America. They're going to be on the news tonight. One of them is still alive. So if you want to call in with questions, you can, you know, can't do that. So yeah, I, I agree. Drip, drip. Just to a point though, I think they had a long-term plan and for whatever reason, I could speculate, but for whatever reason, it seems like that plan has been sped up and we're heading towards crash retrieval in the near future. Within a year, maybe, I think we may get access to one of those, but that's the holy grail, getting access and showing the world what's inside multiple special access programs, maybe, maybe two years. I mean, on Twitter today, I said, I would bet 500 bucks that we have. I saw that, our, yeah. You know, it's like, I do feel confident because if you listen to some of these comments and stuff I hear privately too. So it's like, it's still, it's still speculation on my part. I haven't heard any facts, but there's hope. There are hopes out there that that program is going to be uncovered. And listen to Eric Davis's interviews. People need to listen to that and then put it and com- combine it with the New York Times article, combine it with comments from Elizondo and Mellon. You know, Unidentified Season 2 is great, but it's a little boring for people like us. It's like we've – I mean, I, I still want to watch it, and I will enjoy it. I haven't seen Episodes 2 and 3, but I'm, when I'm talking about crash retrievals and – possibly non-human bodies to see sightings is a little boring to me. And don't take that the wrong way. I, I love the show and I think it's beautifully shot and, and produced and I'm going to watch those two episodes soon. And it's great for people just getting into the subject. It's perfect for those people. That's what it's for too. It's not for and me. Joe, and Joe, you're right. I won't talk about episode three because it's just aired in the US last night. Uh, so it's probably a little sooner. Some people maybe haven't watched it yet. But like you said, episode two, and again, it's one of those things, and more and more, I think, Mellon and Elizondo particularly recently, they're they're just hitting out with things that if you blink, you'll miss them. In episode two, uh, Chris Mellon is at David Marler's home in this incredible garage. It's not a garage, it's a UFO museum, and it's just filled with cabinets and cabinets of research papers and materials and pictures. And Chris Mellon... Uh, speculates, and again, remember who it's coming from. This is someone in the know, and this isn't isn't someone who just speculates for the sake of it. They come from a place of knowledge. He basically says to David Marler, when it comes to black triangles, he thinks these things may be mapping the earth because of the way they move and the way they're built and just from different reports. And for me, that's a huge statement to make. And it's something that within the, the, the context of the episode, someone watching that, it means nothing. But I think that's where... For the novice, Unidentified is an incredible series. I think for people, if you want to say like ourselves, like people who will be listening to this, Unidentified doesn't give you a lot of new stuff unless you really listen out for it. Because for me, that was like a gem that you've got someone like a Chris Mellon who's who's 
basically because what you want these guys to you said you won't speculate or you could speculate guys like Melon Elizondo they never speculate because and again the Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal interview was great but whenever you want to hear their opinion because sometimes we do want to hear their opinion they never give it any of these people when they're asked and again we heard that on Jay so again I'll give the first shout out Project Unity Jay's interview was fantastic it was really good, good. I'm speaking really to good. him as well um especially somebody from the UK there's not a lot of UK voices on the subject so it's nice to kind of hear um he he does ask a few questions where it's like you kind of want to say just tell us do you think they're aliens yes or no and they always give the pol- the politicians answer don't they of well my, my opinion doesn't really matter well it does because I'm asking you but what they don't want to say is, yes, I think these are ETs. Yes, I think they are interdimensional because it still sounds ridiculous to 99% of the world. To us, it doesn't. And we're happy to have that conversation. But Leslie Keane's not going to sit on radio and say, yeah, I think these are ET craft. Yes, I think we've got alien spacecraft. And this is where I think you look at Harry Reid, why he's backpedaled. And it, it wasn't really a retraction, which lots of people kind of jumped on, didn't they? That Harry Reid wanted to distance himself. It was just on a paraphrasing that he wasn't happy the way it was worded. And it was just, I suppose, the disappointment for me and what Harry Reid said was the, the little green men comment. But I also think it was quite clever what he done there because that very quickly distances himself from any of that conversation for the rest of the world who maybe don't want he doesn't want to see involved in that. Whereas we know Harry Reid's thoughts on this and we know how passionate he is and how much he's championed this for a, a long, long time. Yeah, the, he um I lucked out in 2018. Uh, I was called to shoot some interview with a local politician and they didn't tell me who it was. And then a couple of days before, and I had my blog started at that point already. I started it in 2018 when the whole to the stars, you know, project came out and unidentified and ATIP basically when ATIP was in the New York times and exposed for the UFO program in the Pentagon, I started my blog. And then 2018, I got a call to shoot. I'm a camera guy, camera operator and Freelance, director of photography occasionally, shooting basically your cameraman who lights video. It's all video. Um, and then like, so who's the, who's the person I'm interviewing? And the last, like the day before, they're like, uh, Senator Harry Reid. I'm like, talk about lucky. I'm going to get the interview Senator Harry Reid, who started the, the ATIP program for the Pentagon. And I shot it with a friend. I was able to, to pick my audio guy. And I brought my friend with me, Ben, and audio guy. And we went and we shot what we needed to shoot which was just some political, he was giving uh, accolades to somebody who was retiring and he had worked with. And at the end, I go, Senator Reid, can we talk about the UFO program you helped start in the Pentagon? He's like, on camera? Because I don't want to do it on camera. You know, because he had recently had cancer surgery. Um, so he struggles a little bit to move around. And I said, no, not on camera. He's like, okay. So I got to interview him. And um and I was, I, it wasn't my best interview, but it was okay. And he talked about, you know, people seeing things uh, in the ex, extraterrestrial objects in the sky. And it was good. It was good. And, and I, I was able to do that. And then, you know, what was, the, what was your question? I lost my train of thought, Andy. Where were, we, where, were we, where were we going? No, that's what I was just getting at, that these, they can have that deniability. They're not going to give their opinion that we really want them yeah. to. A Harry Reid, a Leslie Keen, a Lou Elizondo, they always steer away from it, don't right. they? I got it. And, and in my interview, he brought up Little Green Man again because he said that he had spoke to somebody at 
he said the New York Times, but I know it was in New York Magazine too. And he told that reporter, if you don't want, if you, I'll talk to you about the subject as long as you don't want to talk about little, little green men. I think somebody needs to pull him aside and say, that's just a, it's not a good term for us because people would always say, oh, little green men. It's like, but you know, whatever. He, the guy's done so much for us. Give him a, a pass. I was annoyed the day where he wrote, you know, he tweeted out and retracted a little bit of his statement, but he's still, you know, he's, we have, we owe a debt of gratitude to him for just speaking out. It's not easy. I know, I know he's retired and that's part of, you know, he's spoken about his reputation, which I wish he would not worry about and just tell us what he can tell. But I do think, I do think there's another game going on behind the scenes to let, make sure the information doesn't come out too quick. I think that's a really big part of it. I don't, I think if he just, I think he could share a lot of what he knows, you know, about crash retrievals, which I, he started to share. And then somebody might say, you know what, you're going too far. Can you re- just retract it? We're not ready yet. We're close. We're yeah. close. We're getting closer. But just hold off for now. And I think a lot of that is going on. You, like, you said yourself, you, you've said Harry Reid is still sharp for all he's older. Um, he, he's still a sharp mind. And I think what he's done is very clever. Because like I'm saying, I'll call us the 1% for now and I'm not referencing Stephen Greer in any way here, but for the 1% that this subject we know in detail and we, we know the players, we know what he, we don't know what he knows, but you know we know what he could possibly tell us. But for the rest and for what he needs and for his standing within politics, that tweet was very dismissive and it was a very clever way to do it. As much as it annoyed some, I, I think I can see what he was getting at. But again, that's just me surmising. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Yeah, little green men's derogatory, but in the sense that, you know, you want to go interdimensional ETs, UTs, whatever you want to call them now. Um, I could read that tweet. I mean, I can read yeah, the tweet. I have, I have no knowledge and I have never suggested the federal government or any entity has unidentified flying objects or debris from other worlds. I have consistently said we must stick to science, not fairy tales about little green men. Maybe the, the other worlds... Was the, was the part that bothered him because he has suggested there are materials in these special access programs. And, you know, I do have those quotes too, but yeah, it was, I was disappointed too. when I saw that I'm like, why? And I know Leslie Kane talked about it. And when she was interviewed by Jay project unity, they were like, we don't know why he's saying what he's saying, but he has his reasons and we respect that. And that's really all we can do. I mean, yeah, I'm disappointed and I'll speak my mind on Twitter about that and here, but yeah, they, they stood by the quotes. They were they were not for wavering on that at all within Jay's interview, that they were more than happy with what they published and they were quite adamant that he was just picking up on a paraphrasing. But again, it did, it done the trick. It distanced him from what he wanted to be distanced from without yeah. them really having to change anything. So listen, just before we get to the article, because um, we've covered your blog and we've covered the background of the documents. So that the time period after your blog up until just, what, Thursday, you were hyping this article that was coming, okay? And we'll touch on, because that's what part of the interview uh, touched on with Jay and Leslie and Ralph. Um, you've been a huge advocate of a new New York Times article that was going to drop. So the, the main part of it being crash reti- retrieval programs, um, that obviously is going to raise eyebrows for anyone, even out with the UFO community, there's going to be a huge interest in that. You doubled down, and for the most part, it didn't look like you were even sleeping because you were tweeting at all hours of the day. 
bear in mind over here in the UK, there's a time difference. So I could see that this guy's up at two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, and you were constantly responding. And let's be honest, Joe, sometimes you were getting your back up a little bit with people and you got a bit defensive. Other times you were more than happy to kind of have that dialogue and debate. Um, For the listeners, what were you being told was coming? So you what was it you were getting? What were the sources and what was the gist that you were so, so confident this article was coming and you knew about the content as well? I mean, I knew the article was coming because Ralph Blumenthal was live on Facebook talking about it. I mean, and I had, I mean, talking about the Wilson Davis document and then I heard from other sources just saying they're working on crash retrieval and the sources are number one top notch sources. So I'm like, all right, so what are they going to have in their article? And then I'm like, crash retrievals. Um, the document Hal put off was at a lecture. He was also on Coast to Coast saying there's a document that leaked online. Um, and it talks about crash retrievals. And we don't know how it leaked, but it's legitimate. So I'm like, well, I'm going to find out what that document is. Let me ask so-and-so and so-and-so. And they go, yeah, here it is. It's online. Here you go. So I'm like, okay. So let me read this document. And um, I found a source who has need to know access. And they said, here's my comment on that document. And it's like, and that is on my web, that's on my blog. And it's like, it's a great comment talking about how, you know, this person was at a three letter agency and they examined the document and it's authentic. And other people who looked at it, they said it's authentic. And it's basically a document that is MJ 12, which is talk about nuclear in the UFO world, because everybody thinks anything MJ 12 is, is, is not legitimate. And I've never spent any time on anything MJ-12 ever, ever, ever. I've never looked into documents. I don't like documents, not a big fan. Um, But this document said MJ-12 and it said, if a UFO, nuclear powered UFO crashes in Russia and Soviet Union, it was a 1961 document, they might think that it's one of our missiles. And if that's the case, they think we're attacking them. They're going to respond with nuclear missiles and destroy, you know, kill millions of Americans or tens of millions of Americans, and then we'll have to respond and kill hundreds of millions of people and the whole planet would be in nuclear disaster. And we don't want that to happen. So we're going to stay in touch with the Kremlin. That's basically the article. And it's legitimate. It is um, no doubt, zero doubt, 100%. It is legitimate. And people in the UFO field are really going to have a problem with that because I have so many people telling me, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, it's not me. It's not me. I'm not a document expert. It's the person who I talk to. There are other people. And then Eric Davis chimed in on, a, on an email list. I'm like, can I use this on my blog? He's like, yeah. And he's just talking about, you know, there are typos in that document. There are typos in the document, mistakes. I'm like, because somebody's like, look at that. There are typos. This is probably not legitimate. And he's like, well, we know who wrote the document. And he's known for typos. He has a history of typos. I'm like, he goes, we know who it is. And like, when he didn't have a secretary, he would write typos. You know, it's like, that's just how it was with other people, too, who wrote documents like that. So. And there's more information, some I can't share, but yeah, it's like, that's one, another one. I'm like, this has to be in the New York Times. It's got to be. It's like, I'm thinking, you know, I didn't know. Nobody told me this is going to be in the article, but I'm like, okay, so that's my other prediction. And then Will Miller, who I met in 2000. So I'm living in Tampa, 2000, Tampa, Florida. And a friend of mine hosts a show, Malcolm Hawthorne. It's called UFOs and Metaphysics. He's like, come by my show tonight. I have Will Miller on. He's a, he's a naval commander former naval commander. I'm like, I don't know who that is, but, and, and I didn't go down to the studio. I lived pretty close. So I watched on TV. Um, and then after the show was over, I stayed in contact with Will. I, I wrote to him. I said, Hey, I have a newsletter. I had a newsletter back then, open mind news, which is about UFOs and paranormal. And I did that for a few years. And Will was one of my readers. 
Uh, he had a, and Will was a commander in the Navy and back in Vietnam, I think it was 1970, he had a sighting aboard his ship in Vietnam in the, in the Gulf of Tonkin where they saw a light under the water. It was right above the water. Then it went under the water, took off at a high speed, went underneath their boat. Um, so that was his experience, and he became interested in the subject. And over the years, when he was in as a naval commander, he would make contacts with different people and share whatever knowledge he had about UFOs in his spare time. He would brief different people within the Pentagon, and that's how he, you know, he met Greer along the way, and then they briefed Admiral Wilson, and then they briefed the next, the next DIA director, um, General Patrick Hughes. Um, so yeah, so Miller, we stayed in contact, and I went to visit him in 2007, I think, and I never interviewed him, but he's like, stay in touch, you know, we'll talk UFOs sometime, and for whatever reason, I never got back to him, like, he was in Leslie Kane's book in 2009, I think, when her book came out, 2011, you know, her UFO book, mm -hmm. uh, Generals Go on the Record and Pilots. He was in that book. He was, he was also in her Boston Globe article. Um, he was in various articles and in her book, and she calls him a true insider. The guy is amazing. He's a really important person in ufology, and a lot of people didn't know who he was. And I, I was friends with him. We had lost contact for the last four years, but then his letter shows up in the Wilson documents, this two-page letter to Eric Davis talking about alien reproduction vehicles and recovery teams and, you know, things like that. It's, it's a, a really interesting letter, which people who read the documents, you need to read his letter and also read my interview with him. But I didn't have the interview. Late in the process, my blog, I'm like, you know what, I haven't spoken to when, – when the, when the documents leaked, somebody contacted Will Miller and interviewed him. And he's like, you know what? I don't think this letter is legitimate. I can't remember writing it. It looks like a cut and paste job. I, I don't think I would have written this. The, the, the top, the headline, you know, the, uh, the insignia looks like it might be cut, cut and paste. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe Will, but, you know, Will's a good guy. And maybe just, maybe it's all fake. Maybe the whole thing is fake. The documents, his letter. So right before I'm finishing my blog this year, I'm like, I need to call him. I need to get a hold of him. I need to interview him for this blog. Otherwise, it's not complete. So James Andoli knows him. He reached out to Will and he's like, yeah, Will's expecting your phone call. I said, did you tell him I want to talk about Wilson Davis? He's like, no, I just told him you want to call him. I'm like, all right. So I called him, did a Skype. Great. Great to talk with him. And hadn't talked to him in a while. And I go, Will, I'm working on a blog. He's like, yeah, about what? I'm like, Wilson Davis. And he just, he goes, he goes, <laughs> he wasn't thrilled. I said, I really would love to interview you for you. I'm interview you for it. I'm almost done with it. He's like, let me take it under consideration. I'm like, we can do it email. He's like, let me think about it. And then he texts me and he goes, you could send me two questions. And I'm like, two questions? What the heck am I going to do? Two questions. I have like 50 questions. And then he said, you know what? Send me whatever questions you have and I will answer what I can. And that was that's a big part of my blog. His answers are, there's some stuff where he's, different than how he answered it a year ago. Like he would not answer two questions and to me, two questions about what, you know, do you think your letter is a cut and paste job? And he's like, I, I, I choose not to answer. It's like, that's a sign to me. That's a signal sending me because he could just say, yeah, I think it's a cut and paste job. Same as last year. It's not legitimate, but he didn't say that. He said, I choose not to answer. Uh, so yeah, there's, there are things in there that if you look, it's like, it's obviously there's a little signal there that the letter is real for me. And it's like, I don't think it was a cut and paste job. Uh, I think he, ha but I think he has to do what he needs to do to protect Admiral Wilson. 
Um, just, you know, he doesn't want to throw him under the bus. He did interviews in the past, and now I think everybody involved doesn't know. They don't, they don't want to out Admiral Wilson, who has been interviewed three or four times and has denied that this document is real. He said, it's not real. You know, I've never been in Vegas since 19-whatever it was. And he gives some really strong denials, and people use that to say, well, Wilson denied it. So it's obviously fake. Wilson denied it. And I'm like, read the blog. The first line in my blog is, you will be lied to because that is the rule. That's, Ed, that's Eric Davis. If you ask somebody about a special access program, they're supposed to lie about it and lie about it strong to throw you off the track, especially if you're media. And they don't know who you are. You could be a Russian spy. So that's kind of the thinking of the rule. So if you're going to ask about something related to a special access program that that person knows about, they're going to lie to you. They're allowed to lie. And that's just how it is. So Wilson lying about it is not a, not, it's not a surprise. It's just what he needs to do. And I, I think Wilson's going to come out as a hero in this for trying to get access to this program. So he's been so determined to get information. And I think eventually we're going to get there. And, and then hopefully Wilson will come to Vegas and we can reenact the Vegas, the, the Wilson Davis car incident. And then we can go get a beer afterwards and we can talk about the whole thing because I think he's going to be, I they really do think he's going to be a hero for ufology and for the world. I mean, it's not just ufology. It's a world changing event. If we get acknowledgement that we have a craft from another world, you know, we're non-human. It doesn't even have to be another yeah. world. Listen, th- that, that's right. My personal opinion on where, documents from the 60s and 70s and testimony from that long ago now fits into things are that's going to be something i think that has its place after we know more i think when you look at so when you talked about the 1961 potentially this this craft has crashed in russia um and you know potentially could it could it start a nuclear war that we think something's crashed and it's a u.s missile it's a russian missile now was it last year louise elizondo wrote to the chief justice of india i believe it was about yeah and about how basically for for anyone who didn't see this and forgive me if i'm not exact on this but basically that um because india and pakistan have such a kind of tense relationship when it comes to potential nuclear war being neighbors that any uaps or ufos that are picked up on radar could potentially be mistaken to be enemy missiles and start a nuclear war and it's important those governments are aware of what's going on and how they could be looking into this and how they should be looking into it so there's a there's a a more up-to-date example almost 60 years after this this russian crash are we are we are some people yourself or others spending too much time on things that happened in 1947 1961 in the 70s or even the 90s when it seems there's a lot of evidence for what's happened in 2017 2004 2015 2020 and that's what's going to maybe really push things forward and that's why we're maybe seeing a bit more of a, a speeding up of the process. I love the 1997 Phoenix Lights case. I think it's incredible. And I love some of the footage. But to most, and I'll keep going back to it, to most people, it's a bunch of lights in the dark in the sky. Cameras weren't great. And you're, you're an, an audio technician guy, a video, a visual technician guy yourself. The, the footage we're getting now has got to the point that it looks so good. It's hard to tell what's real and what's CGI. So we're at the point now, everything's been passed off as being fake and it's going to be hard to get that bit of footage. And that's where I think, linking back to what you mentioned about the three videos, the flare, the gimbal and the go fast, that's why those caught the imagination because you know what? They're not the best quality. They're a small clip and they leave you wanting more, but it's also an up-to-date, recently declassified 
US government, US Navy, Department of Defense confirmed piece of footage. And that's what's starting to get the population. That's what's starting to get the interest. And it's painstakingly slow. And that frustrates me as well. But that's what's really starting to gain the traction. So are we focusing maybe too much on stuff that happened in the past and that won't maybe have its place until we're a bit further forward down the line? What's your thoughts on that, Joe? I don't think so because I, I don't I don't focus on the past very much. The 1961 document, that's like the oldest I'll go. I mean, I don't even talk about Roswell. I do think Roswell's important. It's just it's so, as James Fox said, it's a messy case and he's going to be covering it in his documentary phenomenon. Um, but yeah, I don't... 1961 document was, was like an outlier for me. I don't cover documents, and that's an older one. Uh, Wilson Davis is 2002, and then we have the Bob McGuire letter from 2004, 2005, saying he's still interested in it. Um, and then, you know, Mitchell talked about it in 2007, 2008. Uh, but, yeah, the most important, as far as the public, are the videos. We've talked about the videos for three, almost three years now. So it's like, it's amazing that we were able to talk for almost three years, about three videos that aren't even that impressive. They're 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 great for, relatively speaking, from what we had, they're great. But I think if we would have seen all of those videos, then there would have been information and footage that people would have said, "All right, that's not a bird. That is not a drone. Obviously, that is something that we don't have. It's just doing stuff that we cannot do. And if it is ours, it's still or it's still world changing because that means we have." somehow figured out gravity so yeah those videos are really important it, you know you know in my mind maybe i don't express it all the time when i talk about an article i also think other things are coming i think you know but of course even something that would trump the videos is if we got access to the vault at lockheed or grumman or you know or boeing if we get access to the to the vault and it gets opened live on television unlike the unveiling of Al Capone's vault. I don't know if you know about that in the UK, but Geraldo Rivera had this live event where they opened Al Capone, who was a mafia, big mafia guy, and they opened his vault live on television, and there was nothing in it. <laughs> it was such a dud. That's all we need. We finally get to the, the flying saucer vault. We open it up, and it's a vault wagon. We're like, what, what the heck? We, we got the wrong vault, guys. Sorry. But yeah. The videos are key, and that's why I'm waiting to see what happens with the UIP tax task force and the task force and the legislation, because that legislation still has to be passed. I think nobody's expecting it not to pass, but you don't know who's gonna, you know, who's gonna sign off on it, and then Trump has to sign it finally. So you don't know until it's passed, and that you know. And it's the same as the article though, as well. That's just came out. What goes into it, and what we hope comes out the other end could be two very different things um, when and again from a civilian point of view I look at something going through any kind of political process and it's talking about how it's going to be fully declassified and there is not a hope in hell that that is going to give us all the good stuff that we are looking for but if we can just get some of the good stuff that that's what we need it's not going to give us everything no one's going to you know like Trump and Trump Jr sitting on TV talking about opening up Roswell which right. obviously, as a, as a statement, doesn't make sense because you, you don't open up a town in New Mexico. What they were talking about was opening the doors to Area 51. And even then, I don't think opening the doors to Area 51 is like you're going to see Will Smith with an alien in the back of his truck. I think whatever's in Area 51 that might be of any interest is hidden far, far away, either underground or in mountains or you know in different areas. So 
it's again it's going to be that slow step and like you say it might be the opening of the vault i mean for i'm a fan of skinwalker ranch and maybe that is the vault for us you don't know that you know that we just have to think of things in maybe a bit of a different way um but yeah there's there's a lot of interesting stuff listen joe so just to kind of get back on the timeline things a little bit because we're getting a lot of really good information here let me just add one thing thing. i just hope i hope that if they know where one of these special access programs is we have amazing satellites. I just hope they're keeping track of that. So if something does get moved, they can track it. Although, because I know you would, yeah, I would think they're going to move it. If if they're if they're threatened and they feel threatened that they're going to be found out, they're going to want to move it. If we know where it is right now, just keep track of that. You know, make sure you keep track of that. And I'm like like I'm telling the government or people, I'm sure they know that. You know, I'm sure Elizondo and Mellon were there on top of it. And I hope that happens. So yeah. So moving on. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. So listen, we've got to the point now. We've talked about how much you hyped up the article. You've given us the reasoning behind that, and that's fair enough. Looking back, would you still be hyping it the same way? Do, do you think you did overreact? Do you think you were maybe going too defensive on the article? Again, you had some interactions. People like myself, I would say we had a bit of a healthy back and forward but there were other people that either claimed you'd blocked them or uh, famously you and Tim McMillan went 12 rounds on more than one occasion. Um, what, what do you say about that? Do you have any regrets at all the way you went on or is there anything that you would stand by? I have not unblocked anybody, so I don't regret that. Um, I mean, people are just rude. People are just, you know, it's like, and I don't block them because they disagree. It's just rude or start taking insults. You know, it's like, the insults, I'm like, I don't really need to put up with insult at this. You know, it's like early on, maybe when I was like just starting out, I would just put up with everything. I'm like, I don't want to lose a follower. And I know that's followers, but they may not be the, the right thing to say. But that's, you know, now it's like I'm not worried about followers. Things are falling into place. And I'm not going to I'm not going to put up with somebody just taking shots at me. As far as, the, as far as other people, I don't want to talk about specific names. But yeah, I think. I have some people muted that they don't know out there. It's just, it's just because they, they're just not adding to the conversation. It's like you want to pick out specific parts of the, of, of the article and like, like you have done. That's fine. We could talk about, you know, specific like maybe Wilson was lied to. It's like, yeah, of course he could have been lied to. I have no problem with that. Um, you don't have proof that the doc, 1961 document is real. I'm like, I don't have proof. I have a source I trust, and we'll we'll find out eventually if I'm right. And I don't think it's going to take five years. Otherwise, I would not be talking like this. I don't regret hyping. I think it's the biggest story. You know, maybe I should have said, you know, overall, and I probably didn't say it enough, overall, the next year or so, it's just, it's going to change the planet, everything that's happening. And the article is the first step. And I've said that recently, but I probably should have said it earlier. It's the first step, no matter what. I did say it could always be, the article could be killed at the last minute. It could be edited. I mean, I did an entire blog on how an article gets edited. I called up a newspaper editor. I'm like, take me to the process. Somebody comes to you with a UFO story. What do you do? And she let me record the interview. And, and I have that on my blog. And, you know, I, I sent her the link to the article. I think she was skeptical that there was even going to be a New York Times article. And she's like, thank you. I'll get back to you. I don't think she's going to get back to me. I think, it's, I think it might be too scary for her. She works at a pretty big newspaper. Uh, I think managing editor. So, yeah, I mean, I knew, I, I told people there's a possibility it could be edited. I did not think, from what I heard, I, Tim mentioned a thousand words were cut out. Yeah. If that's the case, that cut out half of the article. So a thousand words was supposed to be 2,000 words. Because when I read it, I'm like, this is really short. Compared to what they did in, did in 2017 and then the follow-up 
with the uh, USS Roosevelt guys. I'm like, these are, this is really short. So yeah, I, I heard uh, it was gutted. I mean, they just took out the, the, some of the best parts, but you know, we'll have to take what we have for now. So um, why, why does the 2017 article make the front page? And why does this not make the front page? I believe it was page 17. Someone, uh, one of the US listeners had got in touch with me because I had to ask the question. That's a really good question because that's something I have, I haven't even had time to look at. I really didn't look. And if that's the, that's a great question. Why? It's like, I would have asked Leslie and Ralph. I mean, Jay did a great job, but that's a question. What do you think? It's obviously should be front page. I mean, there's no doubt. You're talking about a national physicist saying there, some of these objects are from off world. Uh, Elizondo hinting at that read. Yeah. I don't know because you know, we want to get, we want to get conspiratorial, you know, Certain, you know, Project Mockingbird, the CIA, CIA has infiltrated media in the past. Is that what's going on now? You know, somebody should look into the editor. What are her ties to the military? You know, you know, intelligence world. Nobody's done that yet. But, you know, I don't know the rules of what, where Leslie and Ralph can go if they choose to go elsewhere with what they came up with. Does that belong to the New York Times? I don't know the rules for that. Hopefully not. And they can go and if the New York Times passes on the rest of the information or whatever new information they find, if they pass on that, hopefully they can go elsewhere. But there are there are other reporters getting involved. Um, there's other things. That's going what I was on. going to. That's what I was going to ask. Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenthal aren't exclusive to the to the UFO topic or community. So surely there would be other people who could go to. And I know it's not easy, but reputable journalists who would pick up a story like this. And if they do want to see the potential Nobel Prize at the end of it or Pulitzer Prize, whatever they could win, it's going to be a big story when it properly breaks, if that story's there to be broken. So why wouldn't other journalists pick up that and run with it? Like, you're, Do you know for a fact that there are other journalists following this up? Uh, Media-wise, I do not know. I mean, I've seen Brian Bender has touched from Politi- Politi- Politico, who yep. would be my choice right now. As far as credibility, he writes for Politico. Uh, I would, he's written, he wrote an article, several articles about UFOs. He's top notch. He was really skeptical of Wilson Davis in the beginning, but he's a little more open. Um, I would hope that he takes it up and I, I, would, I would love for him to do that. Uh, other, other, I have not heard of any other reporters. Um, you have Tom Rogan of the Washington Times, who's had a big interest and written several articles. That would be a big one. Um, but Politico, I think, is more well-known. Washington Post, I don't know anybody. Um, so as far as media, no. Other outlets, I don't want to talk about because I don't want to get blamed for hyping. But yeah, there might be some, maybe a book, you know. So we'll have to wait on that one. Um, so you say maybe a book. So I don't think it's unfair to touch on that. And you did say to me we could bring this up. So again, there was, there was mention of hyping a book. So what, what is the details on the book? I'm not going to give details on the book. I just know that a book is possible. That's all I'm going to say. Um, and we'll be pleasantly surprised if we get to see something in the near future. Um, so that's possible. That's something to look forward to. And once again, it's not, we're, ta- we're not talking a year or less than that. So we get to see if nothing's published, you know, nothing's approved, but maybe in the works, I'll go that far. And yeah, I'm, I'll be a little more careful about hyping, but I'm on the inside. I'm always excited if somebody's going to take on this topic. Um, and, and I'm not talking, hopefully it'll be mainstream because yeah, another UFO book is not going to do it, but I think this will be a little different. 
but it's, you know, just in the back of your mind, consider it boring. And then when it comes out, you'll be pleasantly surprised. So then they say, he undersold it. Why did he undersell it? That book was so much better. I can't believe he undersold that book. <laughs> and, and, and listen, you're right. I would never, I, w- I would defend Joe, someone like yourself online. I, w- I would absolutely defend your right, especially when you say how passionate you are about the subject. And I love the subject because I've got my opinions and there are so many people I see online uh, that I disagree with. There are so many high profile names on the subject that I like listening to the stories they tell or some of the guests they have. But just for my taste and what I think, I don't particularly believe that narrative, but I'll still listen to it. And I think everyone's got that opinion. Some of it's a little bit too fantastic, even for me, but I'd always still listen to it. And I can see where, like I say, what I I took the kind of issue with the hype in was with this subject, and this isn't something you've created. This is just something that's been around for, for, for how long, since, you know, 1947 or before. The next, the next big thing or the next big revelation is always just around the corner. And it's just, it's always, it's just that always just out of reach that it seems close. It definitely seems the last couple of years that we're getting closer and things have changed. People talk about a paradigm shift, but I I do think we are getting closer. But for me, if it was in the next five to 10 years, that would still be incredible from a timescale point of view. Frustrating, but it's still in the grand scheme of where we've been and where we're going if some of the things, if even half the things that we're hearing are going to come to light or be true, that that's not something that can be rushed, can it? No, it can't be rushed. But then, you know, we can speculate about why this is happening now. You know, we're, uh, Luis Elizondo was on Coast to Coast last week, I think it was, and he's saying mm-hmm. these, these incitings on the East Coast are still occurring up until a few weeks ago. So why? Why? In 2015, did this start get? You know, I mean, the argument is they upgraded their radar, and that's when they started seeing them more. But this is these are showing up on FLIR, and that, as far as I know, the FLIR cameras aren't any better. Like they may be better quality, but they're not they're not seeing things that they weren't seeing before. It just may be clearer. So why are these why are these sightings happen now? And speculation is well, maybe these objects want to be seen now. They're putting pressure on our government because you know our planet is not in the great shape. We have a really difficult time right now with the environment and a lot of people say you're an environmentalist I'm like just let's look what's going on so maybe if we do have visitors here they're concerned with the environment they're like you better you better make an announcement because the way we're going we're not gonna you know we're going downhill environmentally wise the planet is in trouble so speculation wise maybe somebody's putting pressure on our government and other governments it seems like it's just us so i've even speculated i've even speculated that since it's just us you know is is Tyler Rogaway right are these drones but you know I've really entertained that and at one point I thought he was right but I don't think so and the only thing that's going to solve that you know that doubt in people's heads is releasing a full just one full video will do it one 30 minute video of an object that is DOD of an object just making 90 degree turns taking off instant acceleration you know what David Fravor spoke about if we can see that right away we'll say okay these are not drones this is a big deal and like I said, it's speculation as to why now, but I think now is the time. And I don't think five to 10 years, if it is, I'm going to be gone. I don't think I can, I don't think I can sustain this passion. I'm passionate, but I don't think I can sustain the, sustain the hype for five to 10 years. I will be dead long before that. <laughs> Listen, I'll pick you up on a few things. I mean, you're right. If, if ever a year 
was in the history of the planet was going to prepare us for something like ET life or interdimensional life or, you know, a new leap in physics or quantum understanding of the world, then 2020 is certainly, you know, not even finished yet. So that maybe maybe things have happened the way they have for a reason. A couple of points. When you say about these things being drones, the way things are, I think some of them are. And again, it's when you look at, when you hear pilots talking about... Um, cubes with spheres inside of them flying past our craft is that an entity is that a drone you know the tic tac was that a drone uh, when you hear about craft under the water with these things the tic tac buzzing above it is the craft releasing these drones to go out and do these maneuvers and that's why they can go so fast and the, the kind of ping pong effect who knows so for me that that's a potential i think one of the things though is when, when you say let's release one of these videos and again this comes from me having this conversation with people i work with or colleagues or friends or family when I'll, i i like to think i can have the conversation on different levels where i'll kind of gauge slowly how far i can go into the conversation with them before it gets to the point they just get ridiculous and either end the conversation or they just say no that can't be true it's too fantastic I think you get to the point where people have to have a level of understanding or a base level of what physics are and how these things work. That That's why a pilot's testimony is so incredible, that a Commander Fravor can see this, perform these incredible maneuvers. But to the general public, it's so easy for them still to say with one of these videos, yeah, it's probably secret US technology. Yeah, it's probably secret Russian technology. It's probably Chinese. Even though you go, if it was, and this is where a Marco Rubio's statement comes into play, that's scary that someone has jumped generations beyond generations beyond generations of technology. It's like throwing an iPhone to cavemen. That's the kind of leaps we're looking at here, if not more. And that's where it's almost better that these things are from off-world, which, let's be honest, they more than likely are by the looks of it. So the general public, for me, even with one of those videos, it's still not going to get the buy-in and that's why this kind of slow process needs to keep happening and happening do you see that point of view i do and back to whether or not it's ours or foreign adversary that's that was one of the comments that luis elizondo made when he was on with chris mellon and he said 99 99 he goes we know it's a 99.999 chance that it is not our own technology and we are pretty confident that it is, it is not some foreign adversarial technology. So you tell me, it's pretty clear that we're dealing with something else. And that's yeah. Elizondo. Elizondo is very credible. I think if we get you know, down the path and if we start talking, you, you bring up interdimensional. I've had conversations with people where I keep it very basic. I say, UFOs, we don't know where they are. And all of a sudden they go, well, they could be interdimensional. I'm like, okay, let's go there. And then you know, we start going there. And and Elizondo has talked about all the other possibilities of what it can be. He goes inner space, outer space. You know, it's like he talks about interdimensional. There's so many different possibilities. Um, he knows a lot. Uh, in my opinion, he knows a lot. He's going to be the one that if there is something talking about interdimensional or whatever, he would be the one that would break that news. He's credible. Tom DeLong speaks about it, but Tom DeLong, people aren't going to take seriously. And I think no. that's purposeful. I think they could give him information and say, hey, talk about this. And they know most people are going to say it's Tom just talking out, you know, making stuff up. But when you see him, and I have not read the book yet. I know Luis Elizondo recommended a book. Um, you know what book, book I'm talking about? The, it's the a, Chain of the Sea. Chain of the Sea. And somebody pulled me, and I haven't had a chance yet, but they pulled a quote where he's talking about, the author's talking about how some 
and I'm, I'm, I may get this wrong, but some, some beings are, there's cows and then there's another life form that's feeding off of something they're putting off, which is basically what Tom DeLonge said, that there's negative entities that feed off of our negative emotions. That's something I've heard. 96, probably when I first got into this, that was the first thing I heard. One of the first things like, oh yeah, there are these negative beings. They feed off your negative emotions. I was like, really? I never heard anything like that. And that was back when I was into a lot of metaphysics and new age. And then I slowly became more nuts and bolts. And then I came all the way the other way. Now I'm more open to the new age. Um, but if there is something scary or something we're not used to, that's the information I think is why this is kept secret. I don't think it's because extraterrestrials are visiting here. I don't think, and we've heard stories about people being threatened, people being killed for this secret. Um, if that happened, I don't think it's just to keep a sec, you know, the extraterrestrial secret. I think it would be, I think it would be a little more scary than that, but that's it's speculation on my part. Um, so yeah. Um, people being, you know, James Forrestal, did you mention James Forrestal? No, no. James Forrestal supposedly, you know, there's a, and I, there's a documentary that came out and I need to order it. And I forgot who put it out. Peter, he worked with Bud Hopkins, but he also wrote a book, Peter Robbins, I think. And he has a DVD out and there still are DVDs. It's about James Forrestal and Richard Dolan has written about him in his books. And allegedly people think he was killed. He, you know, he died at a, in a hospital. He was out the window. People said suicide. But if that stuff happened, you know, it's like, why would a secret like that cause people to be murdered just because of well, technology and money. I'm like, maybe. Um, but yeah, eventually I, I will get into more of the uh, interdimensional and allegations and speculation about what's really going on. And I've told people to read the gods of Eden. It's one of the first books I ever read uh, on the subject. And it's, it was really opening my eyes and it's hard to believe, but yeah, it's, it's a good place to start if you're interested in that. And I think, once this is proven that we're being visited by something, I think people, the next que immediate question is going to be, well, who are they? What do they want? And then I think people are going to want to know possibilities. It's, you know, it's going to be a hard thing to prove, uh, but there is somebody out there who I didn't think got into the negative interdimensionals. And I don't, I'm not going to say who it is, but I'm, I'm going to write a little bit about them. It's kind of a surprise. So that's kind of where I want to go next. But uh, we also have to talk about my new friend I met when you're ready the guy who had the healing, because I do want to talk about him a little bit. Well, I think I've got quite a lot of listener questions, okay? Uh, and I know time-wise, oh, yeah, those, those, I think that is covered within one of the listener questions. Um, so we'll get to that. I just want to ask on that, because we've covered quite a lot on the, the blog and then the article, and I think you've covered what I was going to discuss for the most part anyway. So thanks for that. Um, Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal, um, as a kind of final point, they mentioned that with leaks and the rumours um, online on Twitter, like you said at the start of the, the, the show, more than likely they were talking about someone, mainly yourself. Um, it created a frenzy on Twitter and it made their jobs more difficult. Now, Bryce Sable, um, you've, you've retweeted the article, has deemed this really unfair and he feels people like yourself are generating more of a keen interest rather than a frenzy which I, I can see that point. Um, do you feel, looking back, anything you have done over the past month or so particularly has hindered the progress of the article? Or would you say that was unfair on Leslie and Ralph's part to put that on someone like yourself? I thought it was unfair. Um, he was talking about, I think it was Ralph that said, 
He said there was a frenzy on the internet. You know, it does not help to find out others are sharing snippets of the New York Times story showing up online that maybe your sources were able to impart to somebody else. So in other words, he's basically saying, I can't get the story on my own and come up with my own speculation because I was speculating about what would be in the Times. Basically, Ralph and Leslie, I came up with it on my own. It took me a long time to come up with that story. Uh, I, I found my own sources. I did my own work. I only found out about the 1961 document and that it might be in your article, found out late in the game. And I also figured Will Miller, who Leslie Kane had interviewed many times, she, uh, I figured he would be in the article too. And I interviewed him. So that was my speculation based on that. The fact that it might've been in their article, that's not my fault. You know, it's like that's same. We had some of the same sources and I worked a lot on that. And, um, I, I stand, I'm proud of what I did in that article and I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't feel an obligation to not speak my mind. I wasn't, I wasn't like trying to find out who their witnesses were and then talk to them and then leak it online. That's not how it was. I had my witnesses. I had my theories. I had my speculation and I shared it and I would do it again. And it's not my job. I'm sorry. If, if they would have come to me, I reached out to both of them. Uh, early on, I reached out to Ralph. I texted him and I sent him a DM on Twitter and then I reached out to Leslie later on neither one of them got back to me if Ralph would have said listen can you hold up blah 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 hold off on this I'm like okay I, you know I would have thought about it but none of them did so I'm like you know okay they know where to find me it's easy to find me I'm the most vocal person talking about this so but they didn't so no I I'm sorry but it's I, I love what Bryce wrote you know it's not my job if their article is hurt by my little blog, come on, it's your editor, it's your editor, blame your editor or editing system at the time, it's not me. So no, I'm sorry. I mean, I love both of those guys. I love both of their work. I love what they're doing. But it's not my job to not write my blog. I'm sorry. And, and Andy, I'm going to have to uh, plug power in one second. You can ask another question. Yeah, no, and I mean, this, that, this question, I, I hope it's a fair question, but would you see any similarities to what Leslie and Ralph are accusing you of as to what you had brought up uh, regarding Buddy from Alien Protocols when he outed the female uh, co-pilot of Commander Fravor? Is that a question from a, from a listener? No, that, that's from myself. Um, it, was, it was brought up by one of the listeners, but it was something I was going to ask anyway. Um, no. No, I don't see. There's no comparison whatsoever. There was a female, so people know what happened. Chris Mellon had a leak on his website, and Jay, uh, Twitter user Jay, who writes his website is, I don't know if you know his website. He's the one that had slide nine. Um, I'll try to tweet it out when we find out when the show airs. I'm trying to think. So anyway, some of the information that came out were all the pilots connected to the Tic Tac case. And so her name was online and all of us knew who it was. And then we went and looked and found video of her, but we're like, we're not going to share this information. And then we found out she was scared and she didn't want her information out there. So like, we're not going to use it. Well, buddy decided to put it on Twitter. And I was like, that is so uncalled for. That has, you know, it's like, why are you putting her name out there? She doesn't, we've told you, she doesn't want to be public. Almost everybody respected that, which was amazing. 99%, 99% of Twitter, UFO Twitter respected that. They didn't put her name out there and they protected her. And I'm like, that's the right thing to do. You know, she served our country and you're putting her name out there. Why? To force her to speak publicly? Why would you do that? So to compare what I did, I didn't out anybody. I didn't out anybody. I did my story and I said, this is what I think is going to be in their article, you know, because it makes sense for Will Miller to be there. It makes sense for the 1961 document because it's really good. 
you know? So no, no comparison. And I, and I've done it again recently. There's a, there's a person in my Kit Green blog. She's a psychic. And, um, Kit Green said, you know, people could check that on my blog. Kit Green said, would you please not use her name? I'm like, of course, I'm not going to use her name. He's like, she's scared. I'm like, yes, no way. I'll take out even anything that could, people could try to find her. And then I had a disagreement. Grant Cameron was doing the same story and he decided he was going to out her. I don't know if he will, but it's like, it's a big problem with me. She's an older woman and she doesn't want to be known. Why would you out her? There's no benefit in that whatsoever. That's my opinion. And I still love what Grant did. I love what he's done and on the Wilson Davis documents, but it's a strong disagreement on that. And I have a real problem if you're going to out somebody. If I, if I found out a witness in the New York Times article was anonymous and I said, you know what? I found out their name. Here it is. Then it would be similar, but I didn't do anything like that. So. Okay. Sophia response. No, thank you. And it was only fair to bring it up as well. Um, and I did appreciate if anyone listens back, uh, buddy from alien protocols did give a really fair answer to your question as well at the time. So thank you both for answering those. Um, so I had a lot of listener questions again, some of which are in the body of the interview anyway, and I've, I've tried to narrow it down to some of the, the main kind of questions folks. So again, thank you for everyone who got in touch. Um, so Craig, um, who is one of the patrons, and I think this touches back on the case you were talking about previously. Um, basically, was there a medical diagnosis uh, for blindness in your new case, and how long was the subject blind before medical the medical healing? Does that make sense? Yes, and I met this man Michael and his wife Cindy online. I don't remember exactly how we met, but we started having interaction, and I, I liked what he was tweeting. And it turns out. He was working for a uh, on the job, and I'm not going to go into every detail, but 1989, and it was a chemical spill, and he injured himself, and his eyesight eroded over the years, and he was basically blind in both eyes. He had a little bit of sight in one of his eyes. So that was 1989. Makes his way to Long Island in 2013, and he winds up at this church, and I don't know how to pronounce the saint, but it's the saint for eyesight, healing eyesight. And it's the only church in the United States that is dedicated to that saint. It's a Greek, Greek Orthodox church. And he's walking his dog, and he's told he can't walk his dog in that area. So he goes over the, where the church grounds are, and he asks the priest, he goes, can I walk my dog here? The priest is like, sure, you can walk your dog here. And then he asks the priest if he can go to confession. The priest is like, okay, I can give you a... I can give you a a limited confession because you're not part of our church. And he goes for confession and I've spoken to the priest. I spoke on the phone for an hour and I'm going to speak to him again and interview him. And he felt something go down his head and then it went into Michael and he could see. And that's basically the story. That's the basic part. Medical diagnosis. Yes. Before medical diagnosis. Yes. Afterwards. And I think the medical diagnosis diagnosis afterwards says, you should still be blind, but we need to, I need to look into that more, but he can see he has a driver's license. Now I have witnesses is one of his best friends. I have his wife. I have the priest. It's a really good story. So I'm um, him and his wife are amazing. There's a lot more of the story. I don't know where it's going to go. It's going to start out with just telling his healing and I'm not a religious person and he's not a religious person either, but the healing happened and I'm no doubt. And the priest tells it really well. And Michael also can write like, I've never seen anybody write like this. I mean, I'm jealous the way he writes. I read his writing. Um, people will get to read it eventually. It's really, it's so creative. They're an amazing couple. And I really, I'm, I'm excited. Talking about passion, I'm really excited to tell their story. And I have my television background. So I'm working with somebody. We're going to try to tell it best we can with 
we can't travel around and do interviews, so it's going to be Skype. But yeah, it's going to be exciting, and we can hopefully back up as much as we can with documentation, and then people can judge. You know, that's just the beginning of the case. There's a lot more going on. Whether or not it goes there, I don't know. His background and stuff that happened afterwards. No, thanks for that question, Craig. Um, so I had a question from Gavin. It's two questions. Do you think the UFO community would have been blown away by the article if it came out of nowhere? And by that, he means, has the community's reaction, oh, sorry, and also, has the community's reaction changed how you'll approach future communications with your audience about in-the-works stories? No, because the, the, the UFO community is not the target of this. It's the general population and they're blown away. They're like, my cousin sent me an article. He's like, here's the New York Times article. Look what's in this. I'm like, I know I've been telling you about that. I had somebody who liked the New York Times article on Facebook whose main, her father was a big time mainstream news anchor in New York City. Um, She has never interacted with me in the last 20 years. So people like that are interested. People who, if I could, if I was able to talk to everybody and explain some things and share some of the stuff I know they would, that I can't share, they would know why I was hyping and and I still think the hype is 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 proper for what's about to come. I'm sorry if people were disappointed, but it's like it's still a pretty big deal. It didn't have what I hoped, but that was an editorial process, and I knew and I said it was a possibility that would happen. I didn't I didn't think it would be that bad, quote unquote bad. I mean, taken from allegedly 2,000 words down to 1,000. I mean, I can't control that. And, I, and even at the end, I said it could be killed. The article may, might, might even not come out. And Jay asked Leslie, she's like, did your editor want to kill it? And she's like, did your editor want to kill the article? And Leslie's like, no, otherwise it wouldn't have made it out. That's not the question. Did your, what does your editor think about the UFO subject is what, I've, what I would have asked her. And I was like, do you think, do you agree with the edits that were, you know, that were done? Do you agree that, that those, what you, what was left out wasn't presented enough evidence to be included in the article? So, yeah. And, and to be I fair, think. I think, I think Jay does sort of ask that to Ralph and Ralph's employed by the New York Times, isn't he? And Leslie, am I right in saying is not employed by them, but she works she's for freelance. Yeah, yeah she's freelance. freelance. So there is an element, I think, of Ralph. He answers the question that they were one hundred percent supportive, and whether they were or weren't, he's, he's going to say that anyway, isn't he? Because it's his employer, and if he wants the the next article to come out, which you've said you fully believe that there is the next article to come out. And he said himself that this isn't, you know, this isn't the first and it's not going to be the last article. Then you need to be shown to to play the game a little bit. And I'm sure I'm sure that's what's happening in the background as well. Yeah, they're um, playing a game. Yeah, they're definitely playing a game. They can't say their whatever their true feelings are, they can't say. I don't I'm not guaranteeing New York New York Times article is coming, but I think another article is coming, whether it's with the Times or some or somebody else. But yeah, there's gonna be more coming. So people don't don't get disappointed. There's more stuff coming, and like, yeah, I hyped the article, and the hard, article did come. I knew it was coming. I just didn't know what was going to be in it. So, just patience. For, just keep patient, and I, I will hype the whole situation because it's big. And I would like to, I would like to talk to people outside of the field of UFOs, but it's not easy. This helps a little bit, you know, but it's still difficult, you know. It's not an easy subject to talk about. I mean, try try to hosting a podcast on it or writing a twenty four thousand word mega blog. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, so uh, Dan, your question was asked already, and Dan's the co-host of the Skinwalker Watch Along and TUP talks about Harry Reid retraction. So thanks for that. Um, David had the question: 
do you think the number um, and manner of corrections of the article subsequently have negated the impact of it at all? I don't think so. I mean, for us, it, it hurts, um, but it's it, it makes you wonder. It's like some of the basic things they got wrong, just a little like on the, the UAP task force. Um, but I know a lot of people are using that to dismiss the article, but they were negative about the article beforehand. Some of them would, didn't even think the article would come out. So I don't think it's a huge deal, but it's, it's only one step. We, we've got a long way to go, but we'll see with the next year. I mean, who knows? I don't know what the next step is, but I think it would be nice if nothing happens for two months, just so I can relax a little bit and just work on articles that I need to get done that I've talked about doing and transcripts. I would like to get all of uh, Eric Davis's transcripts done transcripts. Cause it's not that many, but it still takes time to do, you know, I have a transcript script uh, transcription assistant that I use online and, and I, but it's still, I have to go through the entire show just to fix everything. So yeah, just a little quiet would be nice for a little bit, Andy. Yeah, maybe if the the boil that everyone's got to just simmers down a little bit and lets us all calm yeah. before. I'll have to simmer down. I'll have to simmer down. And I want to work on the, the healing story. Though, so I need to work on that too. That takes time. Cool. Um, David also asked, what are your thoughts? And you touched on it a little bit when you talked about the retweets of some of the, the major accounts, but your thoughts on other outlets' coverage of the article? I haven't read all of them. I've just tweeted. I've typed into you. I've typed UFO on Twitter and seen coverage. Um, there was one show. I forget the name of it. It's on Giuliano's YouTube page, Eventimus. Eventimus. Um, but he's also Omni Talk Radio on Twitter, and it's um, mainstream political. Usually, I listen to them for political talk, and they have the Marco Rubio comments and the interview he did with CBS Miami. So that was. That was nice to see, but we need more of that. It's not as much coverage as 2017. We're not to that point yet. I don't know why. I don't know if that's going to change, if there'll be a, a moment where that changes. Um, it's just like 2000 or 1997, the Phoenix Lights didn't get national coverage until I think it was March 13th was the sighting. And then I remember in August, all of a sudden it was on ABC News, network news, and it was on USA Today the same day, which I thought was kind of odd. They both had the story. It was almost like somebody said, okay, you can cover this now. Um, so, and that was five months later, March, April, May, June, July. So five months later, that it didn't get coverage until five months later. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not exploding. So I don't know if that'll change. It depends on if anybody follows up. We need to follow up. Do you not think there's, there's too much else going on just now, like COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement and just US politics with elections coming up and in the UK, there's a lot of controversy around Brexit, COVID. Um, there's just so much else happening in the world in such a short space of time. It's landed and just, it's either been placed deliberately now for that reason, that it's just another crazy thing and amongst a lot of other crazy things. And, but no, I agree. And it's like, when is a good time? It's like, if you're waiting for timing, it's really difficult. You know, in our, yeah, in our country, we have, we have like, right. You know, well, they're labeling it riots. We have protests that are labeled riots. Well, I'm not going to get into that, but protests going on, people are, are burning stuff and it's happening in multiple cities and people are battling, battling with the police. And there are people protesting peacefully. Most of the people are doing that, but the headlines are the people that are not protesting peacefully. You have that. COVID is not going away here. It's bad. I mean, Nevada, it's ticking up. Arizona, which is right next to us, 
that is really, really bad. Um, hopefully it's coming down a little bit. So yeah, it's like, when is the right time to drop that story? And then the election, what if, what if the election happens and then Trump, say he loses and he says, I'm not leaving. That story is going to be covered nonstop. So it's like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Maybe, it, maybe they're waiting till after the election and they hope, you know, they're afraid to do it with, because they're going to need, they're going to need the Congress and they're, they're going to need the president. You know, it, what if there are some people that need to get pardons in, in exchange for them to come forward and speak about what they know on these special access programs? Will Trump do that? You know, it's like, who knows? I mean, maybe they've spoken to him and he's not in for that, you know, in favor of that. So maybe they'll have to wait and see if Biden wins, but that's not a guarantee. So yeah, it's a tough, tough choice to try to find that right time. Yeah, thanks for that, David. Um, Stephen had a couple of questions. So in your opinion, or if you know this, um, Joe, how long have Ralph and Leslie been working on the crash retrieval story, particularly? They said a couple of months. Um, I know Wilson Davis was a couple of months. I thought they were working on it longer than that. So I don't know how many months, but in their interview, they said a couple of months. Um, and, and Leslie's been into UFOs since 99, I think, when she first wrote about the Kameta report. She's also written about crop circles, which people don't know. Um, it's, it's in the Providence Journal. I think it was 2002. People should Google that because it's an excellent article on crop circles, which is a controversial topic. But there's several scientists that she has quoted in that article. She hasn't gone back to that, but she has gone into life on life after death. And it's funny because Leslie and her, she, you know, her and Ralph are talking about, I think Ralph says there are other people doing UFO work that's really not credible and it's very sensational. I'm like, your co-author just wrote a book about a human hand forming out of ectoplasm with a physical medium. You want to talk about sensational? So that's a little hypocritical. And I, and I love physical mediumship. I've been into physical mediumship for a long time. And I believe Leslie, when she says she saw that happen in front of her face, you know, she's not, she's a brilliant woman and she saw it. I believe it. Now what, what it is, I don't know, but that's, you know, that's sensational too. So they, I don't know how long Ralph has been at it, but I, I know he's working on a book about John Mack and that should be out hopefully soon. That should be really good. And John Mack, big name, sad, sad we lost him early. Yeah, no, awesome. Uh, other question from Stephen was, was Eric Davis given permission to talk about crash retrieval briefings as far as you know? I don't know, but Brian Bender reported today that he inquired with aerospace corporation where davis works and he wanted to know uh if he could interview davis and i i don't know if i just think they t- i don't know if they said no but i tweeted it out i think they told him all interview requests now go through the pr department if i'm remembering that right so i don't know if what that means if he's going to be allowed to do interviews or not you know they're a pretty big defense company i mean bender says they're basically an arm of the pentagon so we may not hear from eric davis interview wise now i don't know i hope we are because his voice is really needed but you know it's not gonna it may not be easy for people to get to him right now awesome and uh, final question uh luke says first off big respect for your blogs and your work into them he's a big fan and what were you doing when the article dropped uh, a few days ago and what was your initial reaction you've already discussed initial reaction but what were you actually doing at the time i don't even know what i was doing um I was home most likely because I'm always home. I don't go out right now because I, I just go out to get food because I don't want to take a risk and getting sick because I don't have health insurance, unlike the UK. So I don't take a chance. Uh, I don't remember what I was doing, but it took me a little bit because I was getting messages like New York Times. I'm like, 
Uh, all right, let me check. Let me check. And I saw the first, I, I looked at it quickly. I'm like, this isn't the article. This can't, this is just a little tease. And then I, I took 15 minutes and then I looked and I started reading it. I'm like, okay, let me, let me read what is here. And my personal reaction was disappointment because I hyped myself up, but you know, a few hours later I was happy and it's just a first step, you know, just remember that first step patience. I tell people first step, think good things are coming. Just be patient. Awesome. And Joe, to finish up, I like to ask all my guests to do a bit of a quick fire round. Um, if you've listened to any of the shows, I'm just looking for a word, a few words or a few sentences. Um, I know you're a man of many words, which I can appreciate. And that's always good for a podcast uh, because few words doesn't really go down well on the edit. So I'm looking for a word, a few words or a few sentences on each of these topics. Okay. And if you don't want to comment, you can say no comment like your your friend, Eric Davis. <laughs> so the, the first one uh, would be Tim McMillan. Tim McMillan has put out some great articles for, I think they were both in Popular Mechanics. Um, for some reason, he was really against... He thought the 1961 document was fake. He thought uh, the Wilson Davis, he was against the Wilson Davis documents. And then he switches, turned to change his mind, which everybody can change their mind. And he was skeptical about would be in the, the crash retrieval article from the New York times. Um, I don't really have much interaction with him now. So that's all I want to say about that. But his articles are great. The, the Tic Tac article, and then the article on OSAP, which everybody should read both of those. Although I think they're behind paywalls right now. The next one would be Eric Davis, who we've covered at length. He is a brilliant man, um, passionate about the subject. Not not a fan of ufology because he realizes, he sees how it is. Uh, you know, we all fight with each other and we don't really agree on a lot. And he had a sighting back in when he was in going for his doctorate, I think, which is, I'm not sure if I transcribed that as part of it, of part of my article, but he is somebody who thinks UFOs are all bad news. He had a, seems like an interdimensional type or it was a telepathic experience at Skinwalker Ranch where he was frozen and he heard the voice, we're watching you. It was multiple male voices. Uh, So he's had that experience and his, his physics, he dumbs down conversations for me because if he talks physics, he know, he knows I don't understand. And he's never gone there again after the first time I told him, I said, just keep it basic, and he, he keeps it basic for me. He knows. And he also thinks Lazar is lying. At least he's told me that. Uh, unless he knows Lazar, the, unless he knows that program is legitimate, then he has to lie, but I don't think so. So we disagree on that, and I told him I think Lazar is telling the truth, but he didn't stop talking to me. So he's, you know, he's, we're, we're friends, you know, false friends, and uh, he's willing to hear other viewpoints. Well, it's like, like you said, wasn't it? You're going to be lied to. That's the rule. So, right. Um, and I have spoke, I've specifically asked him, I said, if you got read into a program and I asked about it, would you lie to me? He's like, yep, I'd have to lie to you. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so, that, so you never know. You don't know what you don't know. Um, the next one would be Tom DeLong. DeLong, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he was chosen specifically to help get this information out. I think there was a plan to get this information out and he was there at the right time, had a plan, had the money to get things going in the, in the beginning where things are tough. And I think they're going to be moving along. I'm not a fan of his music. Uh, never was a fan. I hate his voice, but he's a really important person. And I really would love for him to give us details of his barbecue. At, I think it was that Lockheed supposedly what, how everything started in the beginning and people need to go back and listen to his interviews. I think 
Jimmy Church did some really good interviews with him back in 2016. And there's some stuff that slipped out back then. You don't know if it's truth mixed with disinformation, but I think there's a lot of truth there. And I think people should, people should listen to those earlier interviews. Good stuff. Yeah, I've went back and listened to the, the odd thing from back then, and there are some nuggets and gems within it. And again, like with everything Tom DeLong says, I love listening to him. I don't know how much of it sometimes is opinion as opposed to what he does know and how much of it's kind of mixed together. One of my favorite things has been that uh, last year or earlier this year, he put out a series of tweets. It was about seven or eight tweets, and most of them started, what if there was a race on this earth before us, and what if the stories about Atlantis were true and what if, and he, he sent all these out and out and out and it was really fascinating reading, but that's the kind of stuff that turns a lot of people off. But again, the guy's coming from a place of knowledge for for the most part. And he's in the circle of people that we would all like to be in that circle, no doubt. So yeah, it's, it's intriguing when he puts that kind of stuff out. Um, your thoughts on Luis Elizondo? He is the most important person in ufology since Jay Allen Hynek, you know, uh, Jacques Vallée, but he's different than he has the military background. I think on coast to coast, he said he's been involved in so many, so many special access programs. Um, I think he's the key figure. I think he knows a lot. I think when the truth comes out and it's more than extraterrestrials, I think he's going to be one of the, the point people, persons that's going to tell us what's going on. And um, I've never had a doubt about, you know, him being, not being the head of this. I mean, maybe, you know, you always have doubts about every little thing because people start attacking. But uh, everything he said, like Brian Bender said early on, he's like, everything that I've heard from them between TTSA and the people there and ATIP, everything has turned out to be true. So people need, you know, he's the perfect point person. The guy is so credible in my mind. He has that military background. It's like, just like my guy who had the healing has a really strong military background. People are going to be amazed these people have served our country and served humanity in just an amazing way. And I'm not normally a big rah-rah military person. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm basically a pacifist, you know, but I know the real world does not like that. But these guys, just, just amazing. Luis Elizondo is, you know, what he did in Afghanistan, serving next to General Mattis, you know, who was the Secretary of Defense, who he tried to get this information to. So, yeah, I, I have nothing but good things, just, just good things to say about him. And I think him and Mellon have some plans going on. People need to check out my transcript of what they said on Coast to Coast because it's a mixed message, but I think they're sending a message to the people who have those special access programs that your time is running out. Awesome. I agree. My, I am firmly in the Elizondo camp. I don't think that's a secret from anyone that listens to the show or reads my tweets. Um, and the next one is your thoughts on the Joe Rogan podcast from last week with uh, Nap and Corbell. I loved it. I just wish they would have spoken about Wilson Davis a little bit. Um, but it was great. And it gets millions of views. And it's a great way to get information out to the general public that who are not interested in this. And, you know, Rogan, Rogan was skeptical about Skinwalker Ranch. And I just would have hammered home that two of the main witnesses were Eric Davis and Colm Kelleher. And they're, they're not they're, you know, they're both scientists and astrophysicists. And I think Kelleher is a microbiologist, but they both had experiences that are non- you know, non-physical or seeing things, you know, Kelleher saw things that are not normal. So I would have hammered that home, but they both did an amazing job. And, and I hope, I hope Rogan keeps doing that because he's such a huge audience. Yeah, that, that's the pull there is the audience as much as some of his style annoys me a little bit. And he's, you know, kind of woke bro attitude. Uh, yeah, the, the audience is undeniable. Um, I could do one more, Andy. I got another Skype with my friends who I haven't Skyped with them forever. 
Cool. G- give me two more. That's it. Two more, okay. and they'll be they'll be quick. Um, so UFO Joe is UFO Joe misunderstood, or give us a few words about UFO Joe. I am exactly what you see on Twitter. I am exactly what you see here. I I'm passionate. Sometimes I go overboard, but I don't really like putting a filter on. I mean, I am careful about what I say, and I, sometimes you know my first reaction, like with Reed, I was upset with Reed, and then I'll think about it for a couple hours, and I'll. You know, I realize this guy's done so much for us. And same thing with the article. I was disappointed, but I'm like, this is a you know, a couple hours later, big article. So I'm passionate. I have an obsessive, uh, obsessive uh, personality. That's why I had my gambling problem, and which is not a problem anymore. But I will bet that the crash retrieval program will be revealed by the end of 2022, up to 500 bucks. That's my limit. I cannot start gambling again. On a big level, I'll make one bet every now and then. I would love to find it online if there was a, a book that offered that bet. I tried to find one here in Vegas, but they will not take it. Yeah, I like that. Gamble responsibly, folks. And the last one, um, your thoughts finally on disclosure. I never thought disclosure was going to come quick. I didn't think it was going to come in my lifetime. Now I see it coming in the next full disclosure, next five to 10 years, maybe sooner. I mean, disclosure that we're not alone a couple of years, it could be shorter, probably sometime next year, I think we're going to get a confirmation that we do. First of all, once the videos come out, people will be, it'll be obvious. We'll start getting people like the skeptics, like Neil, you know, Neil, what's his name? Neil Tyson, Neil, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil, Neil deGrasse like Tyson. Yeah. Some of the big names I think are going to be amazed. They were not going to be able to say, well, it's just a, a glitch on the radar or, you know, call me when an alien has you over for dinner or whatever, whatever he said. So that's going to be a big thing. We're going to get mainstream scientists more interested with the videos. And then we got to get access to the special access programs. And I'm thinking maybe a couple of years, maybe sooner. But I think things are happening fast. And I never thought I'd say this, but disclosure is on the horizon in the near future. And it's going to be scary for a lot of people. And I'm worried about how people react to it, depending on what information comes out. Um, But I'm excited. And um, yeah, I'm excited about it. And I look forward to it. I don't think about it all the time, but it's definitely in the back of my mind. Like it wasn't up until a month ago. A lot of things were not in my mind a month ago. I've changed my mind on a lot of stuff. Whether or not I'm right about that, I don't know. We'll see. Well, listen, Joe, thank you very much for your time. It's been really nice talking to you and it's been nice giving you a platform to kind of put your tweets into words and paragraphs for a change. So uh, any last words for the audience? No, just be, be patient. Be patient. Stuff is happening. Hopefully, like I said, we get a little month break here, you know, for a little bit. And then the UAP task force is a big deal. And then hopefully by the end of the year next year, we'll have some more information out. As far as articles, I don't know about articles. I hope that happens soon. And I hope some other people get involved. And it's a really exciting time. And I haven't been this excited since when I first got into this, even more so now. So, yeah, hopefully my enthusiasm rubs off and just doesn't get people too excited where they're disappointed if it doesn't meet expectations. But I can't help it. I'm excited. Thanks, Joe.